Welcome to Mindful Headlines, where I take a more thoughtful approach to stories making news in the Pacific Northwest and around the nation, and a deeper look at how our minds influence current events. On this week's episode, the mental health emergency facing our children. You know, I think as a physician, ultimately, my responsibility is to make sure that I keep people alive. To me, that's an incredibly big part of what we need to be thinking about and talking about with our children is their desire to live. Hi there. My name is Jessica Janner Castro. I'm a TV news anchor at King 5 News in Seattle. I'm a journalist first and foremost, but I also have a deep passion for understanding the human brain, how we deal with emotions in our personal lives and in our community. In this week's episode, we'll take a look at the rise in children and teenagers facing mental health issues in Washington state and across the country. We're seeing more substance use, we're seeing more depression, we're seeing more anxiety disorders, we're seeing more in regards to people sort of being inside their own heads with their previous trauma, we're seeing more eating disorders, we're seeing more of everything. My guest today is Dr. Niru Bakshi. She's the medical director at Eating Recovery Center of Washington. She's a board-certified psychiatrist and an expert in the field of adolescent psychiatry, particularly treating eating disorders. She also does work with the University of Washington. And perhaps the most important, she's also a mom. In our conversation today, we'll talk about a recent King 5 News story about the incredible strain on Washington State's mental health services, particularly when it comes to kids. Here's a clip of a story done by my colleague, Eric Wilkinson. All seemed well until Julie got the call that her daughter was dissolving into a total mental breakdown. So the isolation uh, was really difficult for her, and especially when the school year started last September um, and there was really no end in sight, um, I just saw her decline over time. And so to look into her room and to know how much time she spent in there just hurting. Um, is, that's hard. Um, Life was tough for kids before the pandemic, with stresses from school and social media and mental illness already on the rise. Now add to that issues many never dealt with before, like parents unable to pay the rent or even buy food, and suddenly things can take a frightening turn. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, Washington State has seen one in four youth under 18 struggle with suicidal thoughts, an increase from one in 10 in 2018. Also alarming, Washington State ranks 43rd for youth mental health access in our country, and King 5 News has reported it can take six months or more to see a therapist. I'll ask Dr. Bakshi why resources are so thin in Washington and what can be done to fix the problem. This is not something that we need to fix short term. This is something that we need to fix long term. And we'll talk about when you should take your child to an emergency room and how to find help for your kid despite those wait times. Dr. Bakshi, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. So Dr. Bakshi and I actually met several months ago at the uh, Pathlight Mood and Anxiety Center in Bellevue on um, a totally different story. I was on assignment for King 5 News, and we had this really interesting conversation about brain health and exposing yourself to new experiences and new people and just how beneficial that can be for your life. So I'm hoping we kind of talk about that a little bit as well today. But doctor, first, I want you to explain to our listeners what it is you do on a regular basis and also what kind of team you work with. Sure. Yeah. So on a regular basis, I am seeing patients and they range in ages from children up to adults. 
what I really am focused on is improving mental health care. So not only treating eating disorders as part of eating recovery center, but treating mood and anxiety disorders uh, for children and adults as well. We work with folks who need a little bit more than seeing their outpatient providers and need a bit more in terms of support. I work with a great team of dietitians and therapists and primary care physicians, and we really work in a very integrated way to make sure that we are supporting not only the very best health for our patients, but then also for their family members and also for the outpatient referrals, the providers who refer their patients to us. We want to make sure that we are taking care of them as well and providing them with regular updates. Can you tell me what you guys have seen throughout the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's staggering, um, to be really honest with you. We What we've seen is a 90% uptick in the number of calls just from January and February of 2020 to January, February of 2021. And, you know, there was a a graphic that I saw in one of our our leadership meetings that showed that, and I, I tend to be a visual thinker. So just seeing that number up so high in 2021 um, was pretty staggering. Nationally, we treat over 5,000 patients a year, and we've got facilities in seven different states. We've got 30 different facilities. And, you know, I think what we've seen is this dedication that we have to providing this care is so necessary right now. Um, On the eating disorder side, especially with the child and adolescent population that I'm treating, what I'm seeing is the kids saying, when the pandemic started and I was sort of left to myself a bit more is when my thoughts got more dark and I felt much more isolated and I turned to my eating disorder to help me through, but then that's landed them needing care with us. So Dr. King 5 News recently reported that more than 50% of visits to pediatricians right now are for mental health issues. But in Washington, we've seen that mental health services are particularly strained right now. There have been some reports that waiting list times for seeing a therapist for your child is up to six months. There has been increased hospitalization surrounding mental health. Um, In your opinion, why is this all happening? You know, I think there's a couple of different reasons. I think first we have to look at what the history is of mental health care in the state of Washington. And what we knew prior to the pandemic was that we were already strained. I think first and foremost, we know nationally there's a shortage of psychiatrists and particularly child and adolescent psychiatrists. And that requires an additional two years of training after a general psychiatry residency. You engage in what's called a fellowship to become a specialist who treats children and adolescents. So we already knew that we were at a deficit there. We also already knew that here in the state of Washington, we were at a deficit in regards to the number of psychiatric inpatient hospital beds, not only for adults, but for children as well. So when we have this system that's already strained, and then we add this really momentous thing of the pandemic, on top of that, you strain even more an already strained system. And so then we are left with not having enough resources for anybody. In that article that you were talking about, you talked with Dr. Evans, who's an adolescent medicine specialist at Seattle Children's, and she's a colleague of mine. And she hit the nail on the head in regards to, we have taken children who really need social interaction and need the structure of school. And we've removed that from them and said, you can't spend time with your friends. You can't do sleepovers. You can't engage in sports like you had previously. You can't go to school. There are all these things that our children were no longer allowed to do. And so when we rob them of those outlets, 
the mental health crisis just exacerbates. I want to pause the conversation here just for a moment, and I'll do that periodically to let you in on my own thoughts or the news gathering process, in some cases just to help the flow of the podcast. In this case, I was thinking, even if you don't have kids, we were all kids at one point, and we've all coped with stress in our lives very different ways. In fact, I was friends with a girl in middle school that had some severe eating disorders, but at the time, I really couldn't understand it. Now as an adult, I can accept that we all deal with emotions differently. It's why I asked Dr. Bakshi how mood disorder, anxiety, depression, eating disorders can often all go hand in hand. Here's her answer. Yeah, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually has a really great amount of information about this on their website. And so I would highly recommend folks checking that out. What's really great about their website is that they also break it down by age groups. And so what we might see in toddlers or younger children is different than what we're going to see in our teenagers. So for toddlers and younger children, what we might see a little bit more of is worrying about where their parents or their loved ones are, because Oftentimes for that younger set, if they don't see you, they might go kind of worst case scenario. And especially in this time when they're hearing so much about people being in the hospital or dying, there's this worry that they might have. That worry then can lead into regression of behaviors. And what I mean by that is, you know, if your toddler had previously been potty trained, they might experience bedwetting. Or if your child had been one who was very adventurous and outgoing, they might have more um, anxiety around separation. And so what we can see there is some regression and some increased anxiety that comes out with behaviors that maybe you hadn't seen in a while. For our older children, what we can see a little bit more is kind of what we would think of as more classical depression. So irritability or mood swings, isolation, not wanting to spend time with the family, decreased appetite. Um, So we can see them kind of pulling back and pulling away, being more quiet and withdrawn. Um, But then we can also see the opposite as well, too. We can see behaviors that might be more impulsive or more kind of fighting against the system, right? Because they feel so closed and caged in that they feel the need to sort of expand themselves and break out of that. So then that might lead into experimenting with drug use breaking the rules, not coming home for curfew, those kinds of things. And so we have to really think about what the age of the child is to then look at sort of what behaviors we might expect to see. If parents are listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I've noticed some of these things in my own children, what is your advice for when to seek professional help? You know, I think that's a really great question. And I think it's a very personal question because I think the tolerance of what some parents can handle or what some parents want to keep internal is a really personal decision. To some extent, we have to think about what's the cultural norm, you know, and certain cultures might say, you know, well, this is not something that we would seek outside help for versus others. And so I think we have to take all of those factors into consideration. I think though, that when we're talking about the safety of our children is when we really need to be thinking about seeking professional help. So if you're seeing that your child is really not acting in the way that they typically do, please go to your pediatrician, express your concerns. And I think if you have a relationship with your child where you can have these kind of open and honest conversations, having them is incredibly important because they need to know that you as the parent are a trusted person. And so that means asking questions that require more than a yes or no answer, asking things with curiosity um, and without judgment, then letting them know with coming from a place of love that you want to help and support them. I think secondarily, we also have to think about 
right? That pediatricians are seeing more and more in regards to mental health concerns that are coming through their offices. And as Dr. Evans mentioned in the article, they're trained to some extent to do this, but pediatricians are also trained to do a wide variety of things. So this isn't their specialty, but that is potentially a really great place to start. I think we also have to think about if your child is expressing thoughts that their life is no longer worth living or that they are thinking about suicide, that is an emergency. And that means that we need to get you into an emergency room as quickly as possible. Will you explain that a little bit? Because some people may be hesitant to take their child to an emergency room right away, but you're saying that that's something that you should be doing. If your child is expressing those thoughts that their life is not worth living, then yes, that is exactly where you need to take your child because the the child may be thinking about things more than what they're letting on. You know, I know there are several parents out there who have children who sort of have suicidal thoughts on an ongoing basis. And so I think we have to think about that too. Is this where your child is typically at when they think about suicide? Is this worse? Um, have they been thinking about plans? Have they been doing research on the internet of how they might complete it? Do they express a strong intent to follow through with their plan? All of these are really important questions. You know, I think as a physician, ultimately my responsibility is to make sure that I keep people alive. To me, that's an incredibly big part of what we need to be thinking about and talking about with our children is their desire to live. When I listened back to my interview with Dr. Bakshi, that last comment was something that really stood out to me, talking about the desire to live, not just exist. And that's exactly the philosophy behind the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that was launched in 2005. It gives support any time of the day, and you can talk to someone about what you're feeling. You've probably heard of it. And in case you or your loved one needs it, the phone number is 1-800-273-8255. You mentioned that in Washington state, the mental health services for children are already strained. They were before the pandemic. And then with the pandemic on top of things, we've just gone from bad to worse. And King 5 News reported that Washington ranks 43rd in the nation for youth mental health services. Mm -hmm. So in light of that, I think a lot of parents maybe that are looking for help for their children are feeling overwhelmed. It's already a strained system. It's hard to get in. We reported up to six months waiting for a therapist. So what can parents do in the meantime? I think that's where we see primary care and pediatricians really coming in to help fill that gap. You know, as you mentioned, I specialize in eating disorders. And one of my closest friends is a pediatrician um, on the East side. And, you know, when I speak to her, she talks to me about, well, I have such and such patient coming in and I'm seeing them on a weekly basis. And this is what we're doing. These are the interventions that we're putting into place. And we, you know, sort of bounce ideas off of each other, of course, not disclosing names or anything like that, because we want to protect health information. But it's important to make sure that we have those services. Another colleague of mine here at Eating Recovery Center in Pathlight, Dr. Avanti Bergquist, is a, a leader in the state of Washington in regards to advocacy for mental health care services uh, for uh, children and adolescents. And she's also on the Renton School Board. And so for her, she really brings into play sort of that work that we need to do with our systems to increase access and to increase the number of people that we get licensed in the state of Washington. 
And then I think we also need to look for the resources that we do have available. As I mentioned, the American Academy of Pediatrics website is a wonderful source of information. Um, there's also um, ANAD, which is ANAD.org, and they also are a wealth of information about mental health and ways that you can connect with providers. You can also look on their psychology today. And that's where therapists, psychiatrists can put their information and you can scroll through and say, okay, who is an expert in ADHD and find those people and then start connecting with them. And I think perseverance, which is so hard when we're experiencing a mental health crisis, but that perseverance of saying, I'm not going to give up on this. And you may not have gotten a call back from anybody, but just going through that again and, and persisting. How do parents find the right help for their children in terms of personality and how engaged should the child be in that process? Really great questions. Um, I think again, you know, and this is something that I tell the patients that I see as well, especially when I'm first meeting them is I know that I'm not a great fit for every single patient that walks through this door. And so what I ask and what I sort of say is this is my style. This is how I tend to operate. This is the kind of communication you can expect from me. And if that's not working for you, tell me. If we're not a good fit, if I cannot adjust what I'm doing to suit what your needs are, knowing that I'm also here to push you and create change for you, if we can't work that out, I can help you find an alternative. And so I think just having that open construct is incredibly important. And yeah, if you go in and you see a therapist who doesn't feel like they're a good fit for your family, I would say, give them that feedback. And then if they can't adjust, ask for a referral for somebody who they think might be a good fit for you. Does it depend on age as well, how engaged the child should be in the process? And does it also depend how you're going to structure therapy for your kid? Because maybe an adolescent would feel more inclined to speak what's happening in their lives individually rather than a group family setting. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think developmentally, you got to be thinking about where your, your child is at, you know, so a four-year-old probably isn't going to be giving you great feedback. Yes, they will give you feedback of what they like or they enjoy about the therapist. And more than likely, a therapist would be doing play therapy with them, uh, which is where they sort of engage in a task or playing together and then create space for conversation. Uh, because we know that you know four-year-olds will respond to that a little bit better. And I think while it's important to get the feedback from the child, that child probably shouldn't be the one who's the, the, the decision maker. I think when you're you're right in that when we're talking about children who are a little bit older or adolescents, that feedback is incredibly important because they are going to be able to say, well, I like this about the person or I don't like this and I want to work on this. They're able to actually engage you a little bit more in that conversation. And, you know, we're going to have some teenagers who are open to therapy and some teenagers who aren't, you know, so they may say every therapist is a horrible therapist. Um, so I think that's where you also, as the parent, have to be the one who's making the ultimate decision of which way it is that you should go with your child. You know, and if we're talking about somebody 17, 18, who's about to launch off to college or to the next thing in their lives, they probably should be a little bit more invested. So again, I think it's noticing what stage is your child at and where is it that you as a parent need to take a bit more control. When we talk about like eating disorder treatment for specifics, we have the parents decide 
what the meals are for their children, even if they're 17, 18 years old, because that's sort of the structure that we have. And we feel that it's incredibly important for the parents to sort of take ownership and control over that because the eating disorder will drive the child in an opposite direction. Um, so again, it's a very individualized based off of what it is that we're dealing with and then the developmental stage of the child. You mentioned some uh, national resources for parents. Are there any other state resources or other national resources that you think would be great things for parents and adolescents as well to even look at? Sure, of course. So as we mentioned, the American Academy of Pediatrics website is really great. The American Medical Association website, as well as the CDC website, have some really great information um, on a national scale of what's happening with mental health care during the course of this pandemic. The Washington State Department of Health uh, website is also a really great resource as well, too. Um, And they can potentially even help link you up with resources for mental health care um, in your communities. And then, of course, your pediatrician's office. I think it's going to be a great wealth of resource. There are some efforts and some drives nationally and locally to work on integrating mental health care resources into those primary care settings. Um, And there was an article in Lancet Psychiatry back in July of 2020, in which it was talking about the effect of the pandemic and really making sure that those mental health care resources are integrated. Um, And here at the University of Washington, there is an integrated um, care treating psychiatry fellowship, which really focuses on how do we implant psychiatry and mental health care into primary care offices. So that increases the ease of access. Um, And there are some local organizations around here who do that really well. And so it might be worth inquiring as well. Is that something that is provided through your primary care physician's office? After this pandemic ends, do you think that this will shed a new light on the need that's so great for mental health services, both for youth and for adults, and that we will see that change a little bit? As I mentioned, Washington specifically, 43rd in the nation, do you think there will be a new investment in these types of services? I really do hope so. I really do. Um, One of the things that I mentioned, my colleague, Dr. Bergquist, one of the things that she was able to do was to provide some advocacy to the governor's office. And, you know, we heard Governor Inslee come out here recently and say, there is a mental health crisis for our children. And based on that crisis, we need to get kids back in school in person. And so hearing him, you know, in this position of power that he has to influence the legislation and to influence how we as a state look at mental health care, I was so proud to hear him say that. And also proud of my colleague, Dr. Bergquist, for her advocacy work because she's tireless in her efforts to improve what we're doing for the state of mental health care for children and adolescents um, in, in the state of Washington. And so my hope is that we aren't 43rd. My hope is that we continue to expand the access that we continue to offer services and that we really have investment in training more and more people, you know, because as I was mentioning, we already knew that there was a deficit of psychiatrists, especially child and adolescent psychiatrists. We already knew that there was a deficit of inpatient psychiatric hospital beds. And so my hope is that we see this is not something that we need to fix short term. This is something that we need to fix long term. Dr. Nir Bakshi, thank you so much for your time today in this conversation. Thank you so much. I had, I had a great time with you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. Once again, that was Dr. Niru Bakshi, a child psychiatrist at Eating Recovery Center of Washington. 
You can find links to all the sites Dr. Bakshi mentioned in our show notes. You can also find a link to an article on king5.com that has a write-up of this podcast and additional resources. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to the Mindful Headlines podcast. My goal with each episode is to understand how our minds influence current events so we can better understand our world inside and out. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes and please share with your friends and family. See you next time.